Hello and welcome to another episode of the It's a Crime O'Clock Somewhere podcast. This is episode 11 and today I'll be talking about the second and final episode of the HBO documentary Who Killed Garrett Phillips. The second part is all about the trial and verdict. My sources for today's case are Who Killed Garrett Phillips documentary, Oxygen.com, Wikipedia, abcnews.go.com, and Huffington Post. As always, I will link the sources in the show notes. Six months have passed since 12-year-old Garrett Phillips was killed. Now the family knows they can't get their loved one back, but all they want now is justice. And they're saying it through a new decoration in their front lawn. We just want justice for Garrett where, you know, somebody pays for the crime that was committed. They need to pan up. I don't know how they can shut their eyes at night. And the investigation into his murder hasn't stopped, so they just have to wait. The second episode starts six months after Garrett is killed. Garrett's family put out a $40,000 reward for any information and created Justice for Garrett signs that were selling for $7. Ian Fairley, Nick's assistant coach and friend, said he moved to Buffalo to coach and there were signs out there too. When I left Clarkson, I went immediately to Buffalo to start coaching there. That was in May of 2012. First day of preseason, at Buffalo, on campus, all those signs started showing up. You know, I was like, oh, that's kind of, that's kind of messed up. Like, and they're there for me. It's the only one connected to the case. Buffalo is really far from Potsdam. When he told us that story, it was like, there's a lot of forces at play here. That symbolizes and tells me that, you know, the justice for Garrett signs is one way of discreetly saying, let's get Nick Hillary for this. But then I stopped working at Buffalo in January 2013, so right at the turn of the year. Went back to my, uh, lived with my parents briefly in Owego. Some small town far from Potsdam pulled onto his street, you know, and there are Justice for Garrett signs down the road. Somebody doesn't necessarily like what Ian Fairley is saying. You know, I think that's like kind of an objective thing you can deduce. Whatever you're trying to do, you're really just making yourself look really, really creepy and desperate. After Nick left the police station that day, his life was destroyed. Clarkson University didn't want him back or even on campus, and people assumed Nick was the killer. Nick filed a suit for defamation. A Clarkson coach has filed a notice of claim against the village of Potsdam, and his attorney says a civil lawsuit will follow in the near future. He says the notice of claim is being made for injuries and damages sustained during the investigation, including claims for false arrest, illegal detention, illegal search and seizure, emotional distress, and defamation. Hillary's attorney says that his client has handled the situation the best he can. The on-screen text said the Potsdam Police Department retained civil defense attorney Tom Murtari to review the notice of claim for Nick Hillary's civil suit. was in early January of 2012 and that's the first I'd heard of it um, I had no understanding of this incident uh, the crime taking place or anything until until that day one of the things I typically do when I first get a claim is um, I do a Google search holy smokes uh, this is a murder case if he goes forward with a civil suit 
my defense is going to be an offense against him. I'm going to go after him to show that he committed this crime. If that ends up benefiting the police and the district attorney, fantastic. The police took Nick's DNA right away and was not a match to the fingernail scrapings under Garrett's fingernails. The New York State Police Lab did order a second test of Nick's DNA obtained from those fingernail scrapings. The software that was used was TrueAllele and it found no statistical support for a match. Next, we'll get into the trial a bit more. Mary Rain was the DA candidate. She promised Tandy that if she was elected, that she would stop at nothing to work with police and try whoever did this to Garrett. Murder of 12 year old Garrett Phillips taking center stage at a political rally for GOP district attorney hopeful Mary Rain Wednesday. With Garrett's mother at her side, Rain promised that if elected, she would work with police to find Garrett's killer and bring them to justice. I explained to Tandy that if they came to the campaign stop in Canton, that I would bring Garrett's case to the forefront to again give it more publicity and keep it alive. Garrett's murderer should be behind bars at this point, but he's not. And that's all because of the ineffective incompetence of our district attorney's it office. Is. So throughout this second part, we hear a lot of things about Mary Rain. Mary Rain has also had to defend her record. She resigned as county public defender in 2011, citing an overwhelming caseload. But that was after she was stripped of operational oversight of her office and put on administrative leave. If she couldn't handle the workload, as she had said, when she was in the public defender's office, how would she handle the workload as a, the lead prosecutor in the county, where there's plenty of crime? I did a little digging, and we'll get into a where are they now at the end, but Mary has been dubbed the most dangerous prosecutor in New York State. There has been a lot of misconduct surrounding her, especially in many cases that have happened since the trial. Mary Rain was hired and she started in January of 2013. They don't have any smoking guns. Perhaps the most important bit of information that the investigators were looking at at that time was the Potsdam High School security camera video that had a vehicle consistent with Mr. Hillary's vehicle coming into the parking lot at Potsdam High School. Investigator what? Gary Snell was the state trooper and Mark Murray. So the two showed up at my door again to check in on me. And they were like, can we come in? And I was like, no. So they're just standing in the doorway. They pulled out this laptop and they're like, you know, we want to show you this video. Please know it's the timeline isn't right. It's just kind of unedited. Okay, let's see it. So they're, you know, you see this video of Nick's car pulling in. They're like, do you recognize that car? Yeah, that's Nick's car. Then they split to this different video, and it's Garrett, like, skateboarding. They're like, do you recognize that? It's like, that's Garrett. They're like, great. And then they kind of split to this other video, and it's Nick leaving, and kind of always prefacing that, that this is not, this isn't the final cut. And then, like, Nick leaves. And they're like, well, what way would he go to his house? I was like, well, he would take a right. And they're like, well, he took a left. Okay. How does this make you feel? Does, you know, after seeing this, do you, does anything make you think differently? Does it change it? doesn't do anything and then it just kind of stumbled and kept like what if he followed him down this way what if he did this what if he did guys just showed him pulling into the school and leaving the school and at one point garrett and just uh, it didn't make me feel anything so as you heard the case was all circumstantial they did however have a video surveillance of garrett phillips skateboarding by the high school then a few minutes later there's video of nick or what is said to be nick driving and following garrett however nick stated many times that he went home after being at the high school for a soccer game.
What vehicle were you driving, sir? Gertrude Rovers. I was driving my vehicle. What vehicle was that? A Honda. Can you tell me the make and model, or rather the model and year? Gertrude Rovers. It's a CRV 209. I was, uh, to be honest with you, I was um, surprised that he was even talking to me, first of all, about any of this stuff. 2009. Light blue? That is correct. I was pleased, obviously. I mean, my job is to defend the police. And again, my defense of the police is essentially to investigate this crime and prove that this guy did it. This is great. And everyone's like, why is this great for you being sued? Well, they have to, well, he finally has to answer questions. You recall entering the Potsdam High School parking lot with in your vehicle uh, that afternoon, October 24, 2011? Objection, relevance. Yes. Why were you going to Potsdam High School that day? Objection, relevance. To watch a soccer game. What did you do while you were in the parking spot? Objection, relevance. I'm waiting for the rain to break. Did it break? No. And where did you go? I went home. Need a break? Yeah. Mr. Hillary, are you aware that um, uh, approximately seven seconds before you left the Potsdam High School parking lot onto Leroy Street, Garrett Phillips left the Potsdam High School parking lot onto Leroy Street? Objection, relevance, calls or facts not yet in evidence. No. And you didn't see Garrett Phillips at all in that parking lot, correct? Objection, asked and answered, relevance. No. Um, Mr. Hillary, are you aware that Garrett Phillips uh, turned left out of the Potsdam High School parking lot that afternoon as he left Potsdam High School? Objection, relevance. No. Are you aware, Mr. Hillary, that there is security camera video that shows you turning left in the same direction as Garrett Phillips exiting Potsdam High School parking lot in your blue Honda CRV that afternoon? Objection, relevance, assuming facts, not yet in evidence. No. During the deposition, the civil attorney, Tom Mortati, very masterfully walked him through painstakingly slow, a fantastic cross-examination of exactly everything he did on October 24th, 2011. If you turned left out of the parking lot to go home to your apartment, what route did you take? Through his masterful job, along with the evidence that we have, we were able to compile the case. Uh, and I believe you testified uh, <coughs> in the 50H examination that you went straight home uh, after you left the Potsdam High School that afternoon, correct? He had it the word, oh, you said you went straight home. No, I didn't say that I went straight home. I said I went home. Typically, if I make a left off the parking lot, I would be checking in my assistant coach who lived on Gardner Street, which is what I would normally do. The on-screen text is back. It said on May 12, 2014, DA Mary Rain presents evidence to a grand jury to secure an indictment against Nick Hillary for murder in the second degree. It is the highest charge for this crime, carrying a sentence of 25 years to life. Three days later, the grand jury returns an indictment and Nick Hillary is arrested. In July 2014, Nick was released on bail after spending 70 days in jail. Shauna K. Hillary is Nick's oldest daughter. She was in high school when she testified in front of the grand jury. Shauna said her dad was at home with her at the time of Garrett's murder. I'm part of his, like, where were you when this whole thing went down? So I was with my dad at that time. So they needed me to, like, 
cement the fact that I was where I was with him when whatever was happening, so. It was said that Garrett left the high school parking lot at 4.52 p.m., Nick pulled out at 4.53 p.m., and the call went out at 5.08 p.m. Back a little bit because it's at least two minutes that Sean Hall and Marissa Vogler took to stop, listen, and then determine what they were going to do. So a very conservative estimate would be two minutes. So now you're putting the time of death at 5.06. So you have a very tight timeline of 4.53, when we last see Hillary on the high school video to 5.06 when we believe the murder occurred. That would have given him enough time to go down two blocks, park the car, and you have to remember he's extremely fit. He's not only got a six pack, he's got an eight pack. He's very, very fit and to jog two blocks to get to Garrett's home wouldn't take but 45 seconds max for him. In October 2014, the judge dismissed the indictment against Nick, citing prosecutorial misconduct. Mary Rain was relentless and had badgered Shayna. It was asked that Mary had asked inappropriate questions. On February 2, 2015, DA Mary Rain convenes another grand jury and Nick is indicted a second time. The evidence was presented the same way. In this episode, John Jones is also brought up more, and it's so odd to me that he wasn't a suspect. It seemed that he had more of a motive than Nick did. I remember leaving one of the hearings and a lot of Nick's supporters were there. And somebody yelled out, why haven't we heard anything about John Jones? And I, that was the first time I had heard the name John Jones and I didn't know who Jones was. Much better case could have been put together against John Jones than was put together against Nick. You know, we know that his behavior was volatile. You know, Tandy knew that, Nick knew that. You know, was that a motivation for killing a boy? I don't know. Tandy complained about John Jones 10 months before Garrett's death. In her report, Tandy wrote that she was scared and feared for her safety as well as her son's. I didn't get the statement directly. I got it indirectly from my boss. And I read it and I said to my boss, I go, that's not Tandy's writing. And it was typed. And he's like, how do you know that? I go, because... Tandy doesn't know the definition of some of these words in here. I go, so there's no way that uh, she wrote this. And uh, he's like, well, that's interesting. I said, I go, we'll find out someday who, who wrote this. I go, because Tandy didn't. God, this dude is a dick. Tandy also said in her report that John Jones sent her threatening messages and was abusive. She also said John Jones sued her in retaliation for dating Nick. Mark Murray said John Jones was cooperative, however, he was not given the same treatment as Nick. He was not forced to strip, and his face was never in any photos. You couldn't tell it was John Jones except for the fact that it was labeled as being him. So the person of John Jones, here we see no face shots, no dehumanizing, uh, still has his tie on. So nothing for anyone to look at to even know who this picture of, except it says the person of Jones. So why bring in someone if these are the pictures you're going to take? And if they're both suspects, why is the person of Jones so much different from the person of Nick? And what's the difference besides skin color? John Jones was still able to keep his job, whereas Nick's life was ruined. Norman Siegel and Earl Ward joined Nick's defense team to handle the criminal charges.
How did I get involved? The Amsterdam News owner, publisher, called me last summer and said, please come. I want you to hear about a case. I'd like you to get involved. I uh, said that I would get involved. My one condition was that Earl Ward be co-counsel with me. And then we made phone calls. We talked to people. Uh, everything we've been told is totally in opposite to what the prosecution is trying to make Nick Hillary out to be. District Attorney Mary Rain says DNA evidence points the finger directly at accused killer Nick Hillary. Mark Murray, who's the lead investigator, testified under oath. There were no fingerprints match. There was no DNA match. There was no eyewitnesses. They, they basically had no case. And then all of a sudden, years and years later, Fitzpatrick comes on the cases, you know, takes a lead role, and all of a sudden they have his DNA match. As you heard, suddenly they said Nick's DNA was a match. DA William Fitzpatrick ordered a new analysis of DNA using the software StarMix. However, the DNA did get dismissed because the sample size was so small, and the lab that handled it was not a StarMix facility. Nick and his five children moved to Dun Ellen, New Jersey before the trial. Nick said his older children knew what was happening, because, but his youngest started asking more questions. It was a bittersweet moment because Nick didn't know when he'd see his kids again every time he left. 1,000 people were summoned for jury duty. Mary Rain even knew someone that was on the jury, and there was another juror who was friends with the Phillips family. Nick waived his right to a jury and went forward with a bench trial. Judge Katina was the judge to decide Nick's fate. Nick's trial began on September 12, 2016. I'm going to play a few clips from the trial. It's, uh, it's normally at this point, Judge, where either you or some of the litigants would say to, uh, to a jury to uh, keep an open mind. And I don't think, Judge, I've ever beseeched someone more in a criminal case to keep an open mind than I would in this matter right now. Because the narrative of this case up to this point has been very, very simple. A group of uh, bungling, incompetent cops from a small town in upstate. Okay, these guys, very experienced lawyers, uh, just selected this individual to decide this case. And I wanted to disavow him of the narrative, the narrative which has been established at this point for four and a half years, that this case is razor thin, that this case is nothing but a bunch of, you know, upstate hicks that want to grab the only black guy in town and put him on trial. None of that stuff is true. From day one, the murder investigation focused almost exclusively on Nick Hillary. You will learn that after a thorough inspection of the deceased apartment at 100 Market Street, the police found no fingerprints, no hairs, or no fibers linking Nick Hillary to this crime. Let's examine in what is the most conclusive piece of guilt against this man. At the exact instant Garrett reaches Leroy Street, the defendant backs up, Kate turns out of the parking lot, and according to him, at least a dozen times under oath, I went straight home, back to my daughter. Except, the camera doesn't lie. Mr. Hillary doesn't turn right, he turns left, because he's hunting 
Garrett Phillips. This is all the video will show you. But the prosecution wants you to jump to conclusions. You will not see or hear any credible evidence of Nick or Nick's car approaching at or leaving 100 Market Street during the critical time when Nick exits the parking lot until Officer Mark Wentworth found the deceased. And why? Because he wasn't there. Now, meanwhile, Judge, just outside in the back of Market Street, there's a young man by the name of Andrew Carranza and his then-girlfriend, Shannon Harris, and they're in the process of changing a flat tire on Carranza's truck. Andrew's now deployed with the United States Marine Corps, but he'll be here to describe what he saw and what he heard. Okay, so Andrew Carranza was a tenant of the Market Street Apartments. On the day that Garrett died, Andrew and his then-girlfriend, Shannon Harris, said they didn't see anyone. Don Tracy called me, told me he was an investigator. He stopped over. He questioned me about what I was doing that day, what I heard, what I saw. Um, we were changing his tire, and we kept hearing this ripping noise. The decision was made by me to fly Andrew Carranzo in. It was my judgment that Andrew described the noises that he heard a little bit better. Police asked both of us if we had seen anybody in the window, any movement, anything like that, and we both said no. This window right here on the top and the outside was the window that had the screen forced out. So these parking spots right here would have been occupied by the Carranzas. This being Andrews, would have been very hard to see a body standing in that window. And if there was, it certainly would have been a time to say it at that time. And they did state they didn't see anything. Uh, their statements uh, indicate that. We went over the statements multiple times and nothing was different. Afterward, he told me Andrew had a opposing story. I told Don Andrew was trying to get a hold of me and I had called him anyway. And I did record the entire conversation with Andrew just in case he said he was making it up. Now I feel like you're changing your story or something, and I don't know, Andrew, but I am not going to go to court and, like, lie for something about you, if that makes sense. If they question me on it, I'm going like, to, have to be honest and tell them. I think I would remember because it would be in my statement. Yeah, well, you saw somebody, but you didn't necessarily see Hillary, so I don't understand how, even if you did, that would be substantial evidence. That's the thing. The person, I could see the person, but I couldn't make out the person because he was so fucking black. I couldn't fucking see who it was. Andrew, And I knew it was come on. No, I'm dead serious. That's exactly what the fuck you want. Andrew. Yuck, this dude is a piece of shit, too. On the stand, Andrew said he saw someone peeking out of the window, but DA Fitzpatrick did not ask him for a description. There was also another man named Gregory Brown who said John Jones was the killer. Gregory Brown said John Jones entered the apartment before Garrett did. The defense decided not to call him as a witness. The, the, now the defense was preparing for their closing statement. The prosecution has pieced together, they, they, they've cobbled together fabrics 
of so-called evidence. And they've given you, Judge, a torn and tattered quilt. And they've given this torn and tattered quilt to you, and they've called it circumstantial evidence. They're trying to paint this picture of Nick as an obsessed psychopath who, unable to get the love of his life, kills her child. Does that make sense? Submit to you, it makes absolutely no sense. It's not the type of theory you bring into a courtroom and ask a judge to find a man guilty of murder. Guilty of murder in the second degree. What you're trying to do here, Your Honor, what you're trying to do here is to demonize, is to demonize this man. I know the prosecutor's going to stand up here. And he's going to say to you, in the loudest voice as he can, you have to convict Nick Hillary. And he will say to you, I have proven my case beyond a reasonable doubt. Judge, this case is riddled with doubt. I can't emphasize enough, Judge, how in this case, there's two possible explanations. You have to give the benefit of the doubt to the defendant. But possibility number one is either Nick Hillary is the victim of the most bizarre convergence of coincidences since man first learned to write and record history and he sits there, an innocent man, or on October the 24th, 2011, obsessed by his breakup with Tandy Cyrus, enraged that it came down to the needs of a 12-year-old boy, as if there was some moral confluence between his needs and the needs of a 12-year-old boy. He entered that boy's apartment, he chased him down, he dragged him into a bedroom, and he spent 90 seconds choking the life out of him. And he's been lying about it ever since. What kind of mind can orchestrate something like that, Judge? The same type of mind that can look you right in the eye and say that when I leave the Potsdam Parking High School parking lot and my apartment is four-tenths of a mile in a straight line to the right, sometimes I go left. And it doesn't make any difference to me. That's the type of mind that we're dealing with. And of course, you gotta believe me because I'm Nick Hillary and I said it, and that's good enough, should be good enough for you. And we're here, Your Honor, because of tapes. And frankly, none more important than Exhibit 71. And there's the last time we ever see Garrett Phillips alive. Garrett Phillips wasn't killed by someone passing through town who hates little boys. He was killed by Nick Hillary. He wanted to be with his friends. He wanted to occasionally watch TV, Judge. He wanted to play at his ripstick. He wanted to be 12 years old and not be dictated to. And that cost him his life. And now Garrett belongs to the ages. 
He's forever 12. I wish you Godspeed, Judge. I pray to God you've seen this defendant for what he truly is. A person who with premeditation murdered a beautiful 12-year-old little boy. And he did it so arrogantly and stupidly that he can now finally be brought to justice. Thank you, Your Honor. Nick and his defense team return home to wait for the verdict. A verdict is expected at some point this week in the Nick Hillary murder trial. The former Clarkson University soccer coach is facing a second degree murder charge for the 2011 death of his ex-girlfriend's son. He'll be back in the courtroom as soon as a verdict is reached. On September 28, 2016, the judge returned with a verdict. Please be seated, ladies and gentlemen. Good morning and welcome back to St. Lawrence County Court. This is a continuation of the people of the state of New York against Oral Nicholas Hillary, indictment number 2015-015. The matter was scheduled this morning for the court to deliver its verdict. Mr. Hillary, if you'll please rise. Defendant was indicted on January 19, 2015 for the October 24, 2011 murder of Garrett Phillips. A trial was had before this court sitting without a jury over the course of three weeks. The case against the defendant is entirely based upon circumstantial evidence. Because of this, the court must review the evidence in this case under a rigorous standard. Accordingly, it is the judgment of this court that as to the charge of murder in the second degree as charged in the indictment, the defendant, Oral Nicholas Hillary, is found not guilty. There having, there having been an acquittal, the court shall enter an order pursuant to section 16050 of the criminal procedure law. Bail is exonerated and the defendant is released. The second time, you know, some of my teammates have seen me cry. It was when we won the national championship. Yeah, so that was the first time. Are you going to go back to coaching? I mean, I've never ruled it out. But at the same token, um, you know, the focus right now at this moment is to, to get back with my family and uh, try to get back as best sense of normalcy within their life and then start to explore the possibility. We have now arrived at the Where Are They Now segment. Most of the information is from the on-screen text from the documentary, but I also did my own research. Nick Hillary has filed a civil, a second civil rights lawsuit against the village of Potsdam. The case is pending. Nick is coaching club soccer now. Tandy Cyrus raises money for after-school programs in Garrett's honor. In June 2018, Mary Rain was banned from practicing law in New York for two years for, quote, severe and persistent misconduct, end quote. Now for my own research, according to HuffPost.com, a former DA in Rain's office accused Mary Rain of sexual harassment, retaliation, and creating a hostile work environment. Her accusers also said she frequently used foul language, made sexually explicit comments, and gave preferential treatment to male employees. As of March 2019, Garrett's case is still an open investigation. The new DA, Gary Pasquua, said the police were reviewing new leads. 
Whether or not you think Nick Hillary is guilty, it's safe to say this case was all circumstantial, and I think the judge made the right decision. On the other hand, a 12-year-old boy was killed, and his murderer is still out there somewhere. I hope the police actually do hold on to their word to try to solve this for Garrett and his family. I would love to know what you think. You can follow me on Instagram at It's Crime O'Clock Somewhere blog pod, DM me or email me at It's Crime O'Clock Somewhere blog pod at gmail.com. My book recommendation for this week is Know My Name by Chanel Miller. Summary. She was known to the world as Emily Doe when she signed millions with a letter. Brock Turner had been sentenced to just six months in county jail after he was found sexually assaulting her on Stanford's campus. Her victim impact statement was posted on BuzzFeed, where it initially went viral, viewed by 11 million people within four days. It was translated globally and read on the floor of Congress. It inspired changes in California law and the recall of the judge in the case. Thousands wrote to say that she had given them courage to share their own experiences of assault for the first time. Now she reclaims her identity to tell her story of trauma, transcendence, and the power of words. It was the perfect case in many ways. There were eyewitnesses, Turner ran away, physical evidence was immediately secured, but her struggles with isolation and shame during the aftermath and the trial reveal the oppression victims face in even the best case scenarios. Her story illuminates a culture biased to protect perpetrators, indicts a criminal justice system designed to fail the most vulnerable and ultimately shines with the courage required to move through suffering and live a full and beautiful life. So I've actually read this book twice now, and each time I was moved by Chanel's story and her words and her fight for justice. I still think she was absolutely robbed and that Brock Turner should have gotten more jail time. Yes, he was a swimmer, but he's also a rapist. I can't tell you how many times I've wanted to pull my hair out after hearing, quote, he's such a good swimmer and a good boy, end quote. And most of that comes from his parents. Chanel should know that so many people were and are still on her side. Chanel deserved better. This is one of the best memoirs I've read in the past few years. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. Please subscribe to my blog. You can find it in the show notes. And thank you so much for listening. And remember, it's crime o'clock somewhere.